Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Uh, certainly an honor to be asked. And uh, this really is my home country. Born and raised in Bakersfield. And uh, the last, I guess I was the last preacher to come out of Bakersfield under Brother Terry. I did stick around a little bit with Brother Frost and he tried knocking some of those rough edges off of me. <laughs> but what a great heritage, and uh, I really do feel at home today. Why don't we stand and love the Lord together this morning? feel clean today and, and, and I don't feel like I have any kind of an axe to grind or I don't feel like I really have so much I could tell anybody um, I don't want to say too much about what God's man <laughs> I don't know about you, but I really enjoy the presence of the Lord. And uh, I didn't get up here to cry in front of you this morning. Praise God. Praise God. I don't feel sentimental, you know. I feel good. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you making me feel comfortable. And I was a little afraid before preaching this morning I thought you know I, I feel like too comfortable I think Brother Morton said some years ago it must have been 15 years ago because I was here the night he said I'm 60 now and I can say anything I want to I turned 60 in February Brother Morton he says I've probably been saying whatever I wanted to for a long time I told someone the other day, Sister Parker quotes Psalms 119, 165, As great peace have they which love thy law, and only Jesse could offend them. That's my first name, just in case you didn't know that. But uh, that certainly is not my intention. I'd like to, I don't know, I might talk, I might preach, who knows, I... I, I do feel the presence of the Lord, and I feel like I have something on my heart today to share. Uh, Brother Morton, uh, I esteem you as high as any man I know. Brother Terry's gone, and you certainly filled uh, a lot of that place in my life. 
and he will tell you that I've been submissive. I've had him tell me I need to pray through, and I went and prayed through. I've had him tell me I need to rejuvenate, and I went home and told my church, Elder Morton told me I need to rejuvenate. And I rejuvenated and started half a dozen churches since then. (laughs) Some of us may need to rejuvenate today. Amen. It might do you some good. Pray through. Really pray through. And, uh, and, and, and get a second wind. Amen? Praise God. Watch out for these old preachers. I hope I don't just lose my text and wonder. Amen. Wasn't that some good preaching this morning? Amen. Um, Brother Phil White, I know that's a thrill to you and, and uh, have your son preach. And, and uh, I know Brother Garrett, a couple of guys that are my peers and, and my age. And, of course, they didn't make the mistake of, of putting a gap in their life serving God like I did. And I certainly have respected you men from a distance most of the time. But I appreciate the preaching and the burden Amen. Nobody's going to heaven without a preacher. In fact, uh, you're not going to heaven without a pastor. Well, there's a lot of Pentecostal people that don't really have a pastor in there. They call themselves. I'll find some glasses. Let's start preaching. Look with me, if you will. I uh, just want to um, say Sister Parker would be here. She's had some physical problems and uh, and pray for her, but she's there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in the grand, <laughs> and um, she feels like well she does. A couple young evangelists and one now has turned to pastor. They call her mom and they say, "Oh, she can pastor that church while you're gone, Jess." And, She's proven that she can. Brother Terry never believed in women pastors. And, um, well, praise God. I better stop right there, huh? I want to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 13. And just one verse of scripture, verse number 44. Again, I give honor to all the people that support this meeting and, and, uh, It is a tremendous honor to be here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. I want to speak to you today on this subject, this thought, and that that the treasure is in the field. Will you pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and let's see if we can connect here this morning. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We ask you to help us today. Lord, let the Spirit of the Lord rest on me. Come, God, for a few moments here and step in my shoes. 
Oh, Lord, you know my heart. God, help us to mold together. Help us to connect, we pray, in the Holy Ghost. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Why don't you shake somebody's hand? You can be seated. Amen. Thank you again for all of the nice, uh, well, seized candy and stuff. I have not opened that stuff. I told my wife, I, man. But uh, the hospitality is awesome. And uh, West Coast is, it's just always been, I remember uh, the first sermon I can remember preached here, well, it was in the church, and it was about the lost letter of Laodicea. And, um, and then through the years, uh, there are messages that changed my life here. Uh, six or seven years ago, about the rejuvenation time for me, um, Brother McMullen preached on deliverance. And I can remember being the first one in the altar, nearly the first. I thought I was the first. And uh, I did not know what I needed to be delivered of. I'm just honest with you. But I felt like I need to be in that. I need to be down in the front. And I got down here the last 10 or 15 minutes that he preached. And I was agging him on. And after a while, I got a little tickled because I think, well, people are probably saying, what in the world's he been doing? Uh, but I got over that part, and the next morning, Brother Holmes, I believe it was the very next morning, got up and preached on the sports page. And uh, that hit home. Uh, I'd never heard anybody really preach against um, listening to things like that on the radio or, you know, we, no, TV, no TV in, in Ike Terry's church. But... Uh, All right. Make sure I was in the right place today. Uh, but some of the guys, boy, they couldn't wait to get out, out to church to talk about Dodgers and how the Dodgers are doing. And I don't I just, but it hit me that day, Brother Morton. And uh, I took it and I talked to some young evangelist friends of mine and I said, uh, I want to challenge you guys. I said, I, I'm not going to preach it. I've lived it for three years and and I said but don't even listen or don't ever put on another ball cap or never put on another shirt or never spend another penny and that may seem like a small thing to you I don't have time to really tell you the whole story but it was a big thing in my life and uh, and it took me to a different level and and, and it came out of nowhere I'd lived for God for a long time. I'd been pastoring for over 25 years. And uh, we'll just never, never shut anybody off that's preaching to you because you never know when uh, they're going to preach something that will change you. And, uh, and try to make yourself receptible, a receptacle, excuse me, uh, to the Word of God and, and be tender. Praise God. This parable... Uh, this this scripture really it, it I guess it's a parable treasure in the field I've heard it preached a lot of ways uh, probably the most popular way that I've heard it preached I'm not trying to cross swords with anybody is that you know the seeker um, the man that finds the treasure is a man that was a seeker and that he was a sinner and and he finds the treasure he stumbles upon the gospel through someone else or 
or, or even by, by themselves, just reading and searching scriptures. And, and then they go, I've even heard preach this way, that they sell everything they have. They had to go in their closet and they had to get their short sleeve shirts and they had to get their, you know. They had to go in their house, to clean their house out, sell everything in their house and, and buy the gospel. But, you know, when you really, uh, in, 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 when you uh, really look at this, that, that theory, it, it quickly falls apart. Because the seeker does not buy the world. All right? The, the sinner comes in and he forsakes the world. When he finds the treasure, neither does he, he, he go hide it. And then, you know, you find the Holy Ghost and then you go hide it for a portion of time. And then come back and get it. But as soon as you, you, you find it. You want to share it with everybody. You don't want to hide it to anybody. And, and, and it, it just it quickly, uh, really, the sinner has nothing to sell. You, a sinner has nothing God wants. Neither is Christ for sale. Now, he says, buy the truth and sell it not. And uh, nor are we to hide that. We're to preach this gospel to every creature. And so in, 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 looking, uh, in looking at this, uh, this parable, I felt like God kind of opened my eyes to a few things and, and, and kind of made a connection with me I'd like to share with you today. We live in a world that, that everybody, these young people, even Brother uh, White was preaching that uh, people want things, they want it quick, they want it now. And it's, um, I'm, I'm working on a project right now, uh, Connect Apostolic and, and with the Hoffer. Some of us are working on it because I walk into a restaurant or I walk into even a fellowship hall or a youth night or something at our church or just wherever, and, and I look around and there's young people and they all have their phones out. And, and, and they're, they're communicating. And I've, I've found out that some people, they're, I don't know, y'all preach against texting or not, but it's okay with me if you do. But if you don't, they text, and they'll be sitting at the same table with other kids texting people on, across the table and down the road. They're living on those phones, and so we have to make some kind of a concerted effort to connect with them and to hook up with them. But last night I couldn't resist. I asked a man uh, sitting next to me here last night, I go, hey, is it okay if I take a picture of me and Brother Morton? And he looked at me, Brother Morton, like, I don't know. I thought, well, that's enough. I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I'd never taken a selfie before, so he had to show me how to do it. I said, show me how to take a selfie. I, I could get, I didn't want to get up. I wanted to be in the picture with him. I, you know, I was about here and I, I want both of us in the picture. And so he hit my phone and, and set it up for me and I got a picture. I sent to Sister Parker. She thought that was great. My aunt, Brother Morton was at our church a couple years ago, right after he retired. And, and someone in, in our prayer room had done a bill, there were several like, you know, billboards, or I guess you call them that, where they decorate. 
on court board. And, and someone had done the WPF and, and put pictures of all the guys at WPF, the leaders and stuff. And Brother Morton was sitting in a chair right under it. Had it over there right behind him. And somebody got a picture of that. Man, I couldn't wait to send that around. You might as well relax. I'm going to be me, all right? Hey. Praise God. But people want instant fame. You know, you heard that these young people hear about Zuckerberg, I guess that's his name, and Alan and Steve Jobs and other people that uh, have, have made fortunes with just ideas about a phone and how they've had a, a quick hit and and they really become something just overnight. And, uh, you know, the, the problem, I think, with a lot of that is trying to hold on. I grew up with stories about J. Paul Getty and, and, uh, and the fellow that was uh, Howard Hughes. And, and when I was a kid and going to school, that's what the young men and, and people talked about. That's who we want to be like. We want to be rich like these people. I was raised in Kern County, and it's an oil county as long as well as a produce county in, in a very, very wealthy county, one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. A lot of money there. And so there was a lot of talk about being rich and being a success. And, and uh, you know, I, I left the church to go play sports and, and had a motorcycle accident that, that finished that six months late after I left the church. I knew uh, when I was flying through the air before I ever hit the ground, it was the judgment of God. And, and I turned to the drug world and I worked my way up through the drug world uh, to smuggling drugs out of foreign countries, and, and, and I was a mess. I'll say this much about it and then move on, but I, I was, at, in 1975, busted for possession of more marijuana than anybody in the history of Kern County. I was famous, but it was infamous. And <laughs> I, was, I was that boy on the back of that album, but I wasn't the ones traveling the country singing. I was going into other countries and smuggling contraband out of Mexico and other places. And so there was that thrill. You know, I, I have to say, I really wasn't trying to get rich. I did get rich. And, and of course, that went away before I, I came back to church. Uh, that was part of my repentance. God, God just caused me to lose it all. But it was the thrill. It was the excitement of the smuggling and and, and, and crossing the border and beating uh, the border patrol and all those things that, that you know, I was, I, was, I was a thrill seeker. And, um, and so gold, you know, when you talk about money and you talk about gold, uh, you talk about wealth and you talk about success. And, uh, you know, really, if you're totally honest with you, you're a young preacher and, and you're wanting to build a church and you're wanting to get your numbers up, and, and there's a lot of controversy, and there's a lot of friction among Pentecostals about the way we treat and handle and take in other saints, or a lot of the conflict, uh, there, there, there's a huge, there had been Pentecost for the first 25 years I preached, where I preached in the Northwest, the elephant in the room was whether or not you were essential. Uh, White preached it here this morning, but and I believe I'm amongst friends when I say that it's essential to be, to repent and to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost of the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, if you came through Brother Terry's school, 
uh, you had to get that or you didn't get to leave. Uh, if there's some out there, I think there may have been a few uh, that betrayed us, but uh, in strike, uh, that, uh, the men that left there, uh, they had that message down in them, on the inside. But if you're not careful when you get into, and, and, and you get to working with churches, and you get to working with regions of people and, and, and regions of churches, the conflict that you usually have, it's over people. They fight, preachers fight more over people than anything else. And the reason that I, I'm just going to say it today, the reason why they fight over people is because of money. Because people mean a better income. I'm okay. He's giving me the wave sign. I'm all right. But it's the truth. Look at your neighbor and say, it's the truth. And if somebody steals a saint from you, you you're a pastor, or, you, or you're a stolen saint even, you've allowed yourself to be lured from one church to another, there's a little bit of spiritual prostitution there. Well, well. And so what I want to preach about is the treasure because, and I'm preaching mostly to young men, but all I want you to understand is that we all want the treasure. We all want the money. We all want the success. Does anybody here want to be poor? Thank you. Does anybody here enjoy poverty? Let me tell you something. The first year or two I pastored, there was a time we were fasting, me and Sister Parker. We, fast, we were fasting because we didn't have any food. If you think it's funny, it's not funny. I'll just tell it like it is. And it got down, the only food we had in our house was onions. We had three little kids. Some of you still think that's funny. That ain't funny. I don't even like onions. I mean, I do now, but I didn't then. But when you, you've been a hardworking person all your life and you know there's ways you can go get money in an easy way. And, and, and the temptation is there. And we would, my wife and I would try to race each other to the mailbox and I can remember praying, God, you've got to put me on somebody's heart. And a lawyer had asked me to do a tree job and I was trimming some black locust trees. I was up in a tree 70 or 80 feet. And my wife pulls up in her car and she gets out of the car and she pulls this piece of paper out and she's shaking at me because we'd been without food for about three or four days. It's okay if you're fasting, like I said, for spiritual reasons, but it's not so fun when you don't, when your kids are fasting and you're afraid to write a check for a box of Cheerios or something. But she's shaking this check at me up in the tree and, and I came down on a rope and I come down. And she goes, look at this. And this person never written me before and has written me a few times since, but never sent me money again. But I think it was $450. And it said, encloses the check for $450 because I care, Von Morton. I don't know if I've ever told him that. 
was how poor we were at the time. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. It's returned to me for a testimony. I don't despise that day. I, I don't want to live that way again. I don't want to go back there. I mean, if God wants to take me through, I mean, all of us may be there in a month or two. Some of you don't realize how close, especially you that live here. If, if something happened like they, they did, they destroyed the atmosphere and cars don't run anymore. And as long as it takes the food to spoil in your house, you'd be out. And you're not going to go shoot a deer downtown Fresno. In a week, y'all be eating dogs. Hello? In a month, you might be eating humanity. It could get tough in a hurry if God allows it to. And so we've all had this desire to, to be successful and to have things. And, and, and you know, uh, there's a story. How many remember uh, Montezuma? You, you've studied about him in school. He was, a, he was an Aztec Indian in, in what is now Mexico in the 15th century, uh, 16th century. And, uh, and uh, Montezuma, um, you, you hear it as Montezuma's Revenge probably here, but um, Montezuma uh, was an Indian, and he, he ruled over me- most of Mexico. And Spain came uh, in the form of Coronado and in the form of a man by Hernan Cortez to Mexico. What is Mexico today? But it wasn't then. I, I don't know. I can't pronounce all the names, but... He had, he had such grandeur. He had gold like you can't believe. And, and when Cortez finally came in and took him into uh, captivity, he held Montezuma in captive in his own place, his own palace for several years. And, and his whole deal was when he saw the gold that, that Montezuma had, he sent back uh, messages to Spain, like, hey, there's more gold here than you guys have ever seen. And so he tries to find out where they were getting it from. And, and you know, time he, a, a lot of the great treasure that, that he sent back to Spain was lost at sea. But uh, when, when, the, when the other conquerors came, it wasn't there. They couldn't find a trace of where the gold came from. And, and when you study American history... And, and, and world history, what you find is that in a little town just, just next to me there called Baker, Oregon, there's been more du- uh, oil or gold dug out of Baker County than anywhere in the United States. And, and we have up there what we call the Ute Indians, which means the earth people, and we have the Paiute Indians, which means the earth diggers. And so the Paiute Indian were the ones back several hundred years ago uh, that would dig the earth and they would find gold and, and, and they would actually take that gold afoot and travel all the way from northeast Oregon through Nevada. Some of them still live in Nevada. Nevada from Reno up north into Oregon. That's all Paiute country through McDermott, Nevada and, 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 and uh, Winnemucca, Nevada. That's all Paiute country or was. And they dug that gold out of the ground and they packed it on foot. They didn't have horses then. And they took it to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they traded to the Aztecs and the Incas that came up from what is now Mexico. And, and, and the whole, this whole process of, 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 of mining and, and gleaning and taking this, this gold down 
uh, Montezuma purchasing it, all it really wound up with is, is that the Spaniards bringing horses to Santa Fe and, and their whole deal, uh, they finally tracked it down through Montezuma that the gold isn't coming from here, it's coming from way up north. And as far as they got was Santa Fe, New Mexico, with this great herd of horses and soldiers, and Paiutes killed them there and took their horses. And it, it made the, the Indian mobile. It, it, it gave them mobility, and it gave them the ability to, to go. And, and, you know, it, what, what I'm talking about is there's two, 300 years of history in North and what we call Central America today that's built around. Santa Fe is one of the oldest, if not the oldest city in America. One of the very old, it's an ancient city. And it's all built around the lust for gold. And, and these people gave their lives. They, men sailed across the oceans and, and, and the whole purpose, many of them carried Christian flags. Cortez and, 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 and Coronado burnt their ships. I think it was Coronado that burned ships. And they walked through Mexico with blunderbusses and slaughtered people by the thousands and tens of thousands because they were heathens. So they shot them to convert them to Christianity, which was the Roman Catholic Church, which, as you know, was not Christianity. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I know it seems like a history lesson here. But we are living in a generation of young men that when they enter the ministry today, they're looking for a fast treasure. I live around young men and, and I watch young men in, in, that are, you know, they, they say they're preachers and they want to be preachers. And, and I get to talking to them about teaching Bible studies or talking to them about winning souls. And, and some of them don't even know the language of winning souls. I enjoyed, uh, Brother PJ, I don't mean to keep being, tapping back in on you, but what you said about your dad and what you said about some things that we inherit. And, man, you get old like me, and it seems like sometimes young men are just waiting around like for you to die. You heard about the little girl that came up to her grandpa and said, Grandpa, can you make it sound like a frog? And he said, why, honey? She said, because Daddy said, when Grandpa croaks, we all get to go to Disneyland. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20 said, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And so if you get it in your head, you know, somebody recorded a song about all the gold in California is in the bank in the middle of Beverly Hills in somebody else's name. There's a lot of truth to that song. Well, man, I thought you'd be shouting by now. No, I didn't. <laughs> and so if you're a type of person, you're a young man or young woman that, that wants to marry a guy like this and... 
And, and your vision is only, hey, I want it now. I want it, I want it all now. I can remember, uh, man, my dad, my pastor even telling me, don't get in a hurry. Despise not the day of small things. And, uh, and just, I, I can remember a time, one time we had a, a well-known missionary come and, and, and Brother Terry was still there. Not it's probably the second year or so that I was sitting under Brother Terry. And he goes, come over here, Jess. And, and I'm not going to name the, the missionary. doesn't really matter. But he was well-known and preached around lots of churches. And he introduced me to him. And he said, you know his brother. And, and, and you know this preacher and that preacher that are friends with them. And they travel over around and sing together. And, and here's what Brother Terry told him. Uh, Brother Greg, he said, uh, those are, he, he looked this missionary right now and said, those are glamour boys. They're glamour boys. And said, Jess here, he's not going to be a glamour boy. And so if it was up to him, he was telling him right there and he was telling me right there, you're not going to go that route. And you know, I was just at the place of Brother Terry. Good, I'm fine right here. I like Bakersfield. I had no idea I would ever go out and preach. Some of you are probably wondering, uh, why are you? <laughs> but, but Brother Terry had a design on me. He had a plan for me. And, and he would just tell me. He didn't have time to waste with me. He, he'd just say, don't do that. Don't go there. And, and my family in, in Texas made a play for me, trying to get me to come to Texas and do this and do that. And man, Brother Terry's all right, and he knows the doctrine, but he's hard to live for God under. And you need to get away from all your old drug friends in Bakersfield. And I thought, man, those are the guys I'm bringing to church. Those are the people that want to come to church with me, the ones that see the change in me. I can remember telling my sister Katie, I said, hey, if I can't live for God right here in Bakersfield, I can't live for God anywhere. I was just simple enough to believe what the elder told me. And he preached to me things like this. You don't, you, you, you try to get it fast. Well, I think even Elder Morton has preached a little bit about let it unfold. And, and Brother Terry giving him the same lesson that he was giving me, that don't get in such a hurry. You gotta let God develop something in you. You let me tell you something. Having a relationship with God's really not hard for me. Alright? Killing my flesh, that's what's hard for me. This flesh is Jesse Parker's biggest problem. Okay? And and I can remember asking an elder, I mean Brother Kilgore one time. Uh, we had him for a youth convention in Oregon, and, and we're sitting around the table, and him and I'm Buck Treadway and some other guys, the speakers at, at the youth, and I just said to Brother Kilgore, I got you know, kind of free with him. I said, Brother Kilgore, when you get your age, do, do you quit? Do you kind of get better about being lustful or looking, you know, at the opposite sex? And he looked at me and said, no, son, it gets worse. I'm like, what? That's something to really look forward to. You better make up your mind. You're going to get in this preaching business. You've got to set some guidelines in your life. Hello? You've got to set guidelines in your life and never cross them. Never cross them. Well, praise God.
That didn't work either. Well, maybe this is working slow, huh? Amen. He that hasteth to be rich, verse 22, hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. And so if you, you think you're going to get a church in a hurry, you think you're going to get a ministry in a hurry, you think you're going to, you're going to prosper this really fast, and, and you want to get on a fast track and get it done. The Bible said you got an evil eye. You're looking at stuff that don't even belong to you. Can you imagine? I had this deal. Uh, you know, I got involved uh, 25 years ago or so with the Marshallese people. Just God sent them to my church, and, and they came through the college. And, and there were just I mean, a dozen or two dozen that lived in our town at the time. And, 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 and Brother Beric Willie came to church with uh, Angelo Meadows. They played ball together in college. And came to church, got the Holy Ghost. He was the first Islander. And, uh, and his wife, he was a Pontepay and she was a Marshallese. She was from Azuro. He was from Pontepay. And, and, and they are very prejudiced. You think there's some prejudice in California or where we live? It, 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 the islands are really bad, okay? And, and to the point where he, when he became to a place where he could go and be a missionary, they couldn't go to Pompeii because he had a Marshallese, he had a, Maz, a wife from Majro, and they couldn't go to Majro because she had a husband that's from Pompeii. And they're all the Micronesian islands. But, I mean, they will not, there's no way you could, you could uh, ever be a preacher there and, and, and married to someone from another island. And, and so people just started moving. Sister Jenny's relatives started moving there, and, man, five or six or eight years, we had 150 of them come to our church or more. And, and, and one day, Brother Tulio, who was a king's son, uh, and, and a brother-in-law, Brother Willie, came to me and he said, there's some men that came to town and they want to meet you. And I said, okay, what do they want? He said, he's kind of nervous. He said, you know, I tried to tell them, Brother Parker, but they want to start a Marshallese church here. So it was then the second largest Marshallese church in the world. There's one big church on the island of Majuro, but it, you know, they sent five guys from this church from Majuro, which is 8,000 miles away, to meet with me and try to get me to let them start having a Marshallese service in our church. And, and I said, okay, I'll meet them. He brought them out to my house. We sat around my table. I poured them all a cup of coffee and, and we're just sitting there talking. I go, what, what's, what do you guys got on your mind? And when they told me that, man, some righteous indignation came on me. And I looked at them and I said, you guys are all sneaking dirty dogs. And they looked, their eyes got big, and I go, no, keep your seat. <laughs> and I proceeded to wear them out, IH Terry style. I said, you don't want to build a church. You want to come here and steal mine. I said, you call yourself preachers. All right? But the only reason you're here is you think you can come in my church. I give you some kind of recognition. I don't even know you. And all you're trying to do is just tear up my church. Well, they heard about 30 minutes of that. And they looked at Brother Tulio and they said, I don't think it's going to work out. <laughs> and I said, here, let me buy you guys lunch. 
And I took them to town and I bought them lunch and I treated them real well. And I said, now get. Get out of town. Go away. I'll never forget Brother Tudio. He now pastors two churches in Marshall Islands. His dad's the principal landowner of the whole, the whole Marshall Islands. And, and his name is Menangne, Tulio Menangne. And he looked at those guys and he said, I told you guys. I told you how this is going to turn out. And so what are you saying, Brother Parker? I'm telling you that we, we, there's just, you've got to get that junk out of your mind. You can't, you can't go down that road. How in the world can you ask God to bless you? You're going to put your hand to the plow. And the scripture said, once you set your hand, well, I'm going to go start a church. Well, that's what I'm preaching about today. The, the missing element I see in Pentecost today is young men that are willing to go dig a church out. Because to me, Brother Morton, the treasure in the field, you know, the treasure in the field is the labor The field is the world, verse, I think it was 38, said that, that in the previous parable the Lord spoke about is, when he talked about the, the wheat and the tares, that the field is the world. And so we know it's the world and the treasure. The treasure in this thing is when you, you know, what we're after. I, I can remember when, when I first went to Oregon and I was there five or six or eight years and, and, and I get around other preachers and, hey, how you doing? And we're trying to get there and... And, and, and this is the question they ask you the most. Have you got a self-supporting church yet? I'm going to tell you, I still don't have one. There's several hundred people there, but they ain't gonna, they're not going to make it without a preacher. They can't support themselves. And I know what they meant. You know, do you, do you get enough money coming in to live without having to work a job? I'm going to tell you, I worked for 10 or 15 years after I had income if I wanted to be, say, oh yeah, I don't work. I like to work. Look at my hands. I don't know if you can see those creases in my hands, but those creases in my hand are called dupatures contractures, and it's from running a chainsaw for 40 years. And my doctor said, don't you touch a hoe, don't you touch a shovel, don't you touch a hammer, don't you touch a chainsaw. And just about a month ago, I was out there running that chainsaw all day long, all day I'm not going to let some punk kid come along and cut my winter's wood. I'm cutting it. I don't care what the doctor said. I still, I didn't own a wood splitter until last year I bought one. When I nearly turned 60 years old, I split every, and we burned 10 cords a year. And I split every bit of it with a splitting mall. And that's, they said, that's even worse than a chainsaw, a splitting mall, because the jamming of your hands. Get away from me. I grew up, uh, Brownie Parker was the wor harsh working man I ever knew in my life. He's a world champion tree climber in 1944. The world champion. And, and when he went by the Morton, he weighed 140 pounds. And, and it was somewhere, I think it was in Visalia, where they held it this, that, that one year. He went to the, the championships. And, and, and this great big old 225-pound, six-foot-something guy, my dad walks up. And they got all the trophies behind this table, and, and he looked at my dad, and my dad loved to tell the story, said, well, which one of them are you going to win, little man? And Brownie pointed to the biggest one up there, said, that right there. 
And that guy had to present him with that trophy at the end of the week. All right? We had a sign up in our kitchen, Brother Greg, and it, it went like this. I can't quote it perfectly, but you'll get the gist of it. And it said, who works? This is over the kitchen table, and I'm a teenager. And he said, in California, there are so many people, and it named off how many million people there were. And it said, this many works, this many are on welfare. And it made a subtraction. And then it said, this many work for the state, made a subtraction. This many work for the county, made a subtraction. This many work for, you know, it went through a whole list of things. And when it got to the bottom, there was only two left. He said, that's me and you, so get to work. I looked at that over my bowl of oatmeal every morning. But I learned, I, I, learned a, I learned a principle from Brownie Parker that everybody in this room needs to learn. I don't care if you're 50 years old. If you've never learned it, it's called a work ethic. It's called a work ethic. Again, the preacher this morning mentioned it. If you don't work for it, you shouldn't own it. You got no business with it if you didn't work for it. But the sleep of a laborer is sweet. And I asked the elder this morning, I said, you sleep good last night? He goes, yeah. I said, me too. I'm ready to go today. I don't, uh, you know, I, I can fall asleep in a pile of rocks. I'm serious. People just visited my house. Well, I'll tell you this quickly. We had a lady came over one night about 10 or 15 years ago, and she's going to commit suicide. And, and she's really shook up, and she's really wanting me to get shook up. And, man, I've been out working all day. I get up at 5 o'clock then, go to the logging woods, work 10 hours in the logging woods, come home and go preach and come home from church, and somebody's going to commit suicide on me. Doesn't even have a job. And I'm sitting there in my, my couch, and I'm, you know, I'm, listening, I'm trying to listen to her elder, but I'm getting bored. Kind of like some of you this morning. I'm getting bored. And, and I'm looking at her like this. I, I'm looking at her. And Sister Parker's in there. And I'm looking at her and I'm getting sleepy. And she's standing in front of me. She's foaming at She's mad like that. And, and spit kind of coming out of her mouth. She's really trying to make me think she's going to kill herself. And I'm falling asleep. Sister Parker gets around behind her and she goes, here's what she does. She goes, Jesse, if you fall asleep, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> she's, like, she's behind the woman and she's just acting out. And I just, I'm going to kill you. And I just fell asleep. <laughs> What's funny, I slept for about 10 minutes. And I'm the kind of guy that I, when I start to wake up, you, I can snore and still know what everybody's saying in the room. You ask my wife, she'll tell, you. she'll tell people, they'll start talking about him and say, hey, he's snoring, but he hears everything you say. And I'll go, that's right. And right back to snoring. All right? And, but when I woke up, there wasn't a sound. It was just perfectly quiet. And then I hear in the back room my wife's sewing machine. 
And I think, my wife is sewing. I've been asleep for a while because the last thing was... <laughs> and I really slow started opening my eyes. And she was still standing there. She cannot believe I sat there and slept for 10 minutes on her. And I looked at her. I said, you know what you need to do, sister? She said, what? What? I said, you need to go in there and help my wife sew. Went right back to sleep. That woman still calls me pastor. Now, I don't call her a saint. She comes about, you know, one of those that comes like twice a year. Christmas and Easter or something, I don't know. Praise God. But if you work, you learn to work. Come on, is there a man in the house? Is there a man that's not afraid to work? You're not going to build churches in California waiting for somebody to hand you something. You're not going to get involved in missions sitting around going, well, who's got money to send me? Who's going to finance my trip? I get so tired of people wanting me to finance their trip. Well, you be seated, please. All right, so if you're here and you're thinking about hitting me up, all right, I'm good for a glass of tea or a pop or something, but... I still have never been installed formally. But Sirstead came to my place one time and, and he was telling me something. Well, you need to do this and you need to do that, Brother Parker. And I said, you know, I still have local license in Bakersfield, California. That's all I got. He goes, well, you might not be able to pastor a church then. And I thought about that. I said, well, you ought to go out there and tell those people. See what they say. What are you saying? I'm telling you, you don't have to have a bunch of paperwork if you know how to work. If you know how to set your hand to the plow. But the Bible said, and if he looks back even, if he just looks back where he came from, he's not fit. He's out of shape. He doesn't have the backbone. God, give us some preachers with some backbone in this movement. That's not afraid of the devil, not afraid of working, not afraid of getting out and getting it done with their own hands. Praise God. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Praise God. I remember, uh, man, Brother Terry, he, Brother Frost was getting ready to come to Bakersfield, and he said, Jesse, you need to be out of here. I came up to Fresno, actually, where I applied for license, and, and, and Brother Morton was on that board, and, and uh, I was expecting man then to work me over, and... and um, I have to quote all kinds of one God scriptures and things. And, and I got in there with Brother Gray and Brother Herbert Buxton. And that's who interviewed us. And, and, and all they wanted to talk about was if my wife was jealous and our personal relationship. And I'm thinking like I, I, I had 
memorized so many scriptures, Brother Greg. I, was, I already knew a bunch. Brother Martin may remember, I think we had 50 people then when I, uh, that we had brought into church through home Bible studies and had been baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and uh, baptized in Jesus' name. That we had the names listed. I thought everybody was doing that. I, I thought, you know, I never asked Brother Terry if I should go get a license. He told me to go get one. And so when I got in that room, um, you know, I didn't know nothing then. I just, I just, we were having church. We were winning people to God. And, and, and so I was, I was ready to get grilled over. And, and after about 30 minutes of personal questions, I said, hey, <laughs> aren't you guys going to ask me? You know, Brother Greg then was the Bible answer man for the Pentecostal Herald. I said, aren't you going to ask me some one God scriptures? He looked at Brother Buxton. He goes, you want to ask him? The bucks and goes, nope. And I said, why? They said, well, the last guy we asked from Bakersfield quoted scriptures we didn't even know was in the Bible. <laughs> what they'd done, Brother Morton, they'd, they'd saw that piece of paper. I didn't know what I was writing, what it was telling them. I know now. If some young man came to me, you know, there's young men in our church they're soul winners, and they're winning people to God, and, and they're bringing people in. And finally, I said, hey, look, you need to go take this church. I got a son-in-law that's pastor in church right now. Uh, I'm going to say this publicly because he did, speaking in our church. Uh, when, he, when he was born, they told him that he'd never be able to, to, you know, mentally take care of himself. It's a miracle from God, really. And, and I got a daughter I raised, and she has to. And, and so he gets interested in one of my daughters that I raised, up, that I adopted. And, and, and he, they start getting serious. And I'm thinking, this might work. It is really strange. Some of you know these kids, but she's 22 and he's 27. And when he was 18 years old, he went to uh, Rawlings, Wyoming and bought a section of land and lived in a camper for two winters. A camper uh, uh, like, that comes off the back of a pickup truck. It gets 60 below there with 50, 60 mile an hour winds. He's a tough kid, and, and he was a well driller, and he, he lived off the grid, and he built his own generators, wind generators, and, and all, all types of solar. He, he built solar plant panels, and he'd read a book, and, and you know, they, they have a, autism has a deal where you, you really get knowledgeable in certain things, and then, but your social skills sometimes suffer. Anyway, I see he's fixed me. He's going to ask me to marry my daughter, and I'm going to, and they don't have a church there. They drive all the way to Cheyenne, 100 miles, and in the winter, like, it snowed 10 inches there day before yesterday already. And so I see it coming. I said, let me tell you something. I, I drove there uh, last year, about a year and a half, two years ago, and I, I went to their house. I'd never been to their house. He built himself a home. He built his parents a home. They lived in South Texas. He built them a nice two-story home, all paid for. Uh, he owned four or five rentals in town. And and, 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 and I, I preached to him. I got the men. They're, he has three brothers, and they're all grown men, and two of them don't have wives. So you talk to Andrew if you're a wife and tell him I gave you the tip. All real hard workers, industrious men. And, and he'd been after me for six years. Just get him a preacher. I told preachers for years about this place. There's four men there, all with really good jobs. And, and they just had to leave the the traditional church, traditional oneness church that was in town because 
you know, pants on women on the platform and makeup and cut hair, and they just couldn't take it anymore. And so they got a hold of me, and, and they're wanting a preacher to come. And so I just, you know, now my daughter's interested in this guy. He starts coming around, and, man, he's still my girl. And so I sat down in their living room. I said, listen here, Andrew. And he had never said one word about marriage, but I looked at him. I said, let me tell you something. If you're thinking you're going to marry my daughter and not have a church here, forget it. Don't ask me. In front of his dad and his brothers. And he just looked at me like, who? But I said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can start teaching Bible studies right now. And by the time you guys are ready to get married, you can have a church right here in Rollins, Wyoming. You know what he did? He took me serious. Two months later, he bought a building, $140,000 in Rawlings. It was a Nazarene church that had been empty for a year or two. It had the songbooks and everything in it. And the family started having church. Just a family. Today, they average 25 adults. They had Sunday. This, a year and three months ago, they started. All right? Now, they average 25 adults. He's married to my daughter, and she's playing the piano. We had some folks here. Many of you know Kurt Walter. He's one of the guys that worked the missionary deal with me for years. And, and uh, he, he, he went, a 60-year-old man, 60 years old, he went to Springdale, Arkansas, and he took a folder, picture folder of, island people from the islands and he got a little card table and permission from Walmart and he sat outside of Walmart and this was Fayetteville, Springville where the, I didn't even know the Razorbacks were there but he's, he's, you know, he called me up later and said, did you know that you sent me to a town that is a football town? I said, I had no idea, Brother Kirk. Anyway, he sets out there with his little book and he stops every Pacific Islander looking complexion person that came through and he said, come here, I want you to look at this book and start showing them pictures. And they go, oh, I know that person. I know that person. Because now at this point, we have the largest church in the Marshall Islands of any denomination. Okay? Our main church, don't you, I'm not saying it for that. But now there's five, six, seven hundred people in that church. And Kurt's largely responsible for watching it grow. And so he goes to Springdale because he found out there were maybe 20,000 or 10,000 Marshallese people in Springdale, Arkansas. Well, it turns out there's 35,000 Marshallese people in Springdale, Arkansas. And in a couple years, that church has run 130, 140 people. He started it in front of Walmart, didn't have one saint. Okay, in five years, or three years, I guess it was, it was like 120, and he just couldn't, he doesn't speak Marshallese. The only English most of them knew is what they learned from television. He was preaching a message one time and a guy was interpreting and one of the men came up later and he said, no TV. And the guy interpreting goes, a little TV. (laughs) Had to fire that interpreter. All right. But we send one, we get one of our men from the church in Marshall Islands and bring him over, Johnny Leger. And now that church runs over 400 every Sunday. I think it's the second largest. I'm not trying. I'm not doing it for that. I'm just telling you, all right? I think it's the second largest oneness church, essential oneness church in the state of Arkansas. What are you doing? I'm saying 
All you got to do is go to work. All right? About a month ago, about, about a month ago, some people have been talking to me from Rock Springs, Wyoming. They found about our start in Rawlings, and I'd sent them, that's a hundred and something miles away. The same kind of deal. Some guys from Oregon were up there even, and, and I mean, no standards, nothing. It's a mess. And, 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 and when they voted some of the other stuff in, it, it just, Wyoming went crazy as far as stand, no standards. I mean, they're standard. You can't go there naked, but everybody's got some standard, right? But it wouldn't be passable for us. And these people start calling me, and I'm just like, I'm not going to say anything. I just said, hey, you need to go submit yourself to your pastor. You need to, I just tell them just what I'd tell them if you call me from Fresno. And, and then they called. They'd shown up at meetings where we were preaching and stuff, and they, they, they called me shortly after I saw them at a meeting in Colorado, and they said, we went to have a, a, a meeting. They called us in for a meeting, and they disfellowshipped nine of, nine of us adults because we were asking for holiness. You ever heard of that? They got disfellowshipped in, in Rock Springs, Wyoming for wanting holiness. And I said, okay, now I'll do something. And I told you all that to tell you this. Guess who I sent to Rock Springs? Brother Walter's now 70 years old. And I looked across our congregation, and we got young men that can preach a house of fire. But they ain't got it yet. They ain't fell in love with the treasure. They haven't realized that they want what, what you, too many of you want. You want everything now. And you want to drive a big car. Oh, God help me. You want to drive a big car. And you want somebody to recognize you with the name pastor on your name. And what you need is a burden for people. I got young men that are great preachers. They're going to they're hear this. They're great preachers in our church and, and, and outstanding song leaders. They can do everything. But they don't have a love for people, for sinners, like they need. All right? Or I would have sent one of them because they're just sitting there like, why didn't he ask me? I went and got that guy that loves people, Brother Greg, that old guy. 70 years old now. 70 years old. And I go, I want you to go to Rock Springs and set a church in order. And it's funny because he worked with poor people for years, for the last 15 years, 20 years, you know. And he gets there and he calls me back and he goes, did you know one of these people's a millionaire? And I kind of, you know, well, no, he came back home and he told me, did you know uh, those are rich people? Uh, yeah, I knew they, he goes, did you know that one? I said, yeah. He goes, thank you. You never had one of them before, Brother Morton. What are you saying, preacher? Oh, if I'd have told you that, you'd say, I got a burden, man. I got a burden. I got a burden. <laughs> Boy, do I have a burden for Rock Springs. I've always wanted to live in cold country where the wind blows 50 miles an hour on average. And, and I'll close with this, but I was frustrated. Man, I had places to go preach, and, and uh, I was sitting under Brother Frost. Everything was great. And let me say this about faithfulness before I go there. I sat under Brother Terry for two and a half years, almost three years, and I missed one service. I missed one service. 
It's because I had a big tree job going. This is not a legitimate excuse, but I owned a tree service company. Had several men working. We were working in Shafter, California, about 25 miles from Bakersfield. And I could see where I could finish and get paid and everything. And by the time we were home, it was like 7, 38 o'clock. Too late to get ready and be in church. Well, church started at 7. And I missed. As soon as that service was over, Brother Morton, my phone rang. Didn't have cell phones in, but that phone rang as soon as church was over. And it was I.H. Terry. And I answered that phone. And he said, Jess. I said, yes, sir. Where was you tonight? And when I had to say I was working, Brother Terry, I want to tell you what, it about broke my heart. And I made up my mind right then, I'll never say that again. I'll never give him that answer again. And that's the only service I missed sitting for two and a half years under I.H. Terry. The only service. And I sat under Brother Frost for eight months. And I missed one service with Brother Frost. And I'm going to blame half of it on Molly, my mom. Because I went to Texas and picked her up and we had a whole U-Haul trailer full of furniture that we would refinish and we're selling, bought it at a container sale. And she says, we went down and we asked Brother Frost, can we put this furniture up in front of the church? And he said, sure, on the yard out there in front of the schools where we're on Columbus. And we sold like three quarters of it and made our money and, and cashed the boot. And my mom goes, Jesse, if we set this stuff up tomorrow morning, we'll sell the rest of it. And I go, okay, let's do it. And as soon as the service is over, Brother Frost already heard about it. And he pulls up in his Lincoln. And I'm sitting out there with what little bit of furniture was left in front of the church school on a Sunday morning. And he pulls up at that Lincoln. And he's sitting in the driver's seat. And I'm like right there. And he just rolls the window down. He doesn't say one word to me. He stares at me. And he rolls the window up and drives away. That was enough said. All right? Don't tell me you want to be a preacher. Don't tell me you want to build churches and you can't make it to church. You're the boss of your job. You own your own company. You should never miss a service. You must be first found what? Faithful. Praise God. Let's stand and love God this morning, this afternoon. Praise God. Come on, somebody get noisy. Act like you enjoyed this, whether you do or not. Well, don't fake it. You need to love God for what you've heard. This is good preaching. I'm still teaching Bible studies. Still teaching them. I got guys in church when I'm gone. Last year, I some girls that cleaned house for a guy that owned some apartments a couple years ago, I guess it is now, brought him to church. And Brother Davies, you know him. He lived in your town. And Brother Davies, I tell you, I sent him to his church. That's where he lived, in McMinnville. And I sent him over and over. In fact, sending his parents there whenever they'll go. And, uh, you know, I just put more sugar on my cakes or something. I don't know what I did, but I moved him to LeGrand finally. I tell him still, he still attends their church when he goes over there. I, we don't have no beef like that. But the neat thing about O'Al and Brother Davies is that he houses uh, almost 15% of the people in the Grand Run Valley. And he drives an old beat-up pickup. He's got some um, 
hazelnut orchards over in McMinnville. But he's wearing jeans, and, and we had our Bible studies at Denny's Coffee Shop. I never took a Bible. I never took a notepad. I never took anything. And for about a year, I met him as often as we could, usually once a week, sometimes every two weeks. And I taught him Bible studies and taught him he's a real kind of a matter-of-fact guy. He's an electrician, and, and him and his family, they own, well, I, th- I, don't, I don't know how many apartments, hundreds of them. And, and the biggest complexes in our valley and in our, our town and in other places. And I had no idea. I had no idea. Uh, because he got interested in a woman in our church and married her. And the first, like, eight months, he didn't work. He, he believed in that thing in the Bible, you know, where you get married. He's 46 or 7 years old when he got married. He took a year off. So I finally called him in one day, and I said, hey, brother. I said, did you hear me preaching about tithing and stuff? Because he'd give offering every service. Never failed. And, uh, but no tithes. And he goes, yeah. I said, well, do you believe it? He goes, yeah. I go, could have fooled me. He said, I hadn't worked for a year. <laughs> Now he's one of the best covers we got. But what are you saying, Brother Parker? I'm saying, God, you know, I had a young man come and stay with me for seven months a couple years ago. And the first thing he said to me was, uh, and I preached this message to him uh, at my church at home when he was there for seven months. And, and I think that might be the only time I've actually preached this, this message. And some of you are saying, I see why, but he said to me, I just want to ask one thing. I said, what? He said, don't send anybody else out. And the idea was a very dynamic speaker, very great guy, doing fabulous as a pastor today. Okay. But his idea of, of growing the church was don't send anybody else out to preach. And I looked at him, I said, well, let me tell you something, buddy. I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And when I set off doing this, I set out to try to copy my pastor. Now, I know it's just a weak little shadow. But he, I said, God will pay me back for anything I ever sit down. God will take care of me. I wished I could tell you the rest of the story, but somebody would be calling or texting people in my church. I'll just say it like this. God has paid me back way more than I've given as far as financially out to the work of God. You say, did you need it? Oh, yeah, we always need it. Anybody, is there anybody that doesn't need it? The commission is to get this gospel to every creature. I know I'm preaching something that's not popular. I, I didn't come here to be popular. I'm not on a popularity contest. 
Let me tell you something. I was, you know, there's lots of things I could have preached here today. I called my wife the other night. I told Brother Morton this. I didn't tell him what I was going to preach, but I said, well, she told me what she wanted me to preach. And she said, Jesse, preach treasure in the field. That's what they need to hear, treasure in the field. Because you see, like Elijah, when he had had it with Jezebel, if you think about it, he just hacked up. You talk about a working man. He took a sword and he hacked up at least 400, 450, maybe 850 prophets. It takes a little bit of labor to chop 400 men in pieces. Can you imagine what Elijah looked like? How bloody he was and the guts and the gore that was on him after chopping up 400 plus men to pieces. He told the men around, don't let one get away. And he walked through them one by one and hacked them to pieces. And one woman turns on him and he falls apart. Falls apart. And he just goes by the riverside and says, I quit, I'm done. This nothing like a mean woman, except unless she has a gun. There's nothing funny about a woman with a gun. And the angel of the Lord, you, you know the story, woke him up and said, Here, drink this cruise of water and, and eat this little cake. An angel comes and cooks him a meal and has to wake him up. And he wakes up like, hey. <laughs> and he eats the food and he drinks the water and goes back to sleep. Now, in my books, the man had had it. He was done. Because you had an angel come wake you up and feed you. You'd be on your little cell phone telling everybody about it. You'd be taking selfies with the angel. No pun intended. <laughs> And then God just tells him, you know, wakes, gives him another cake, wakes him up again. And here's what the angel says. You need to eat this. You need to digest this. Because the journey's too great for you. Let me tell you something. I, I wish time would allow, but the journey in starting a church and looking back years later and seeing it and I'm going to tell you something. It's Robbie and I laying in bed the other night just holding hands and, and we're just talking. And the labor of all of it, man, the, it's just nothing funner. I, I, I go to bed and I'm away. I've been away seven months last year. I've been away six months already this year from home. And I've never done, I never did that before, but a church is in a place where I could do that now. But the point is, is that I still, at the end of the day, Brother Morton, I want to call her and say, hey, here's how the day went. Here's what Brother So-and-so preached, and man, it was good, and church is awesome, and I can't wait for tomorrow. What are you saying, Brother Parker? I'm saying, if this thing is a struggle for you, and you, you got this problem of trying to get yourself rejuvenated, trying to get yourself motivated, I was awake at 4 o'clock this morning. I was ready to go. I wasn't nervous. I just said, man, come on, clock. 
Come on, PJ, hurry up. What are you doing? That's the way life is. When you're in the treasure, you see, the treasure isn't, isn't oh man, ain't we got it all now, right? You know, we don't sit around and go, oh man, we're somebody. I built a log home with my own hands, and it took about four years to do it. And it's big, and it's beautiful, and it's articulate. I don't know. I don't care how you take that. It just is. I want to tell you something. Nobody can live there. I would like to move into a smaller house because I'm tired of that big old thing. Kind of. My kids won't let me move, but I, I look around and I go, as long as I'm alive, nobody has the right to live here but me. But me and my wife and Mikey built it. Mikey is the guy with five types of dyslexia and was on SSI when he came to live with us. And the three of us built that house. And so you, I have people walk in my house, you know, they come to our church now and they look at the church and they come over to my house, they look at my house and they go, well, man, who gave you this? And I want to look at them and say, you got no idea. But you see, the joy, what I'm trying to tell you today, the joy is in the journey. God told Elijah, I'm not done with you, man. He had to go see Jehu. He had to take care of Jezebel. He, he's taking care of Ahab. I mean, he had some people to knock off. And God said, I'm not done with you. I'll let you have your little nap, buddy, but get up. And that's the way it is with us. All right, there's, there's no stopping point. There's no, but the Morton's 75 years old and he's not going to retire. Look who's, he's on the platform today. I know, but the lackey pastors of church, we went through that. And the altars are open. Is there anybody who wants to go to work? Is there anybody in this building willing to work? Because God's only prayer request I've found in the Bible, God's prayer request is the fields are white and the laborers are few. Pray. This is what God said. Pray for laborers. Amen. God bless you.